a couple of volunteers this morning. Who wants to be lassoed? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to lasso anybody. Isaac, come here. Uh, so yesterday, I got some work I need do, done in my house, some trim work that needs to be done. And um, I was going to hire somebody to do it because I didn't want to do it. So I couldn't find anybody to do it, so guess what? I did it. Well, I started doing it. Uh, in my mind, it should have taken an hour. It took all day yesterday. I put a hole in the wall, and I'm still not done. Um, if you were around me yesterday, you would have got the definite impression that things were not well. Because I was not happy. I mashed, my I mashed two different fingers. Like I said, I put a hole in the wall. Fortunately, I was so preoccupied with that moment in time and that work that had to be done that it really ruined my day. Not only my day, but anybody that was around me too, right? Moses, in Psalm 90, writes this. He says, Our days, go over there and stand, go over there and stand. Our days come to about 70 years. And if strength endures, if you like the King James, and if by reason of use is what the King James says, you can make it to 80. Right? I was reading a book not too long ago called Take the Stairs. It's written by Rory Vaden. And he had this example that I thought was really, really neat. And the guy that did it used a tape measure. But it's kind of an object lesson. This rope is 80 feet long. And it's meant in a very real way. I probably need more than one... Chris, come up here if you don't mind. Somebody else come up here. Brian, come up here and help out. Just take him, go that way, pass it down, and keep going that way. I said, give Chris that and let Chris take the end of it. A couple more people want to help out because it's going to be 80 feet long. Hey, Brian, come across, come across right here in front so everybody can kind of see. Go down there and take that. Now, to put this in perspective for me for yesterday, come on across through here, Bentley. Keep coming. Pull it tight, pull it tight, pull it tight. Now, yesterday was probably this much, right, of my time. Right? Maybe, stop pulling so tight. <laughs> Maybe this much, right? And, and if you think about it, I let that cast a, a dark cloud on all things about my day. Right? Step a little closer to me, Isaac. Step this way, step this way. There we go, right? I think that's kind of the way life is too sometimes. Like if you think about it, if your life is 80 years long, right? This is about what a year is of your life. This is about a month of your life. And you see, things that we do in life and the way we live life is very much so about perspective. Or maybe even better way to say that, it's about a lack of perspective. You see, my, my perspective can either help me look forward in life, or it can cause me to look down and become buried in this moment in my life. Isaac's a middle schooler. He went to middle school this year for the first time. And I've been in middle school, right? We've all been in middle school, right? Middle school's hard. I know how hard middle school is. But if Isaac becomes so wrapped up in the things that happen every day and how hard it is every day, he won't let what's happening in his middle school years prepare him for the future. 
if you've got a 20-something, and I know Chris isn't 20, but if you think about it, if you've got somebody who's 20, right, who's going to college, if they will take that college experience and really dig in and really dig down and focus for four years, eight years, whatever that time frame is that you spend in college, if you'll spend that time, you can set yourself up for success in life. You can set yourself up for, for success in ways that you can't do. If you sit and you, you become focused in, in college, what does college sometimes become for people? It becomes a big party, right? First time I went to college, they asked me not to come back after a year because I just didn't take it serious. My academics were such, they were like, you probably need to take some time off and think about what you want to do with your life. So it took me a, another, it took me a decade before I got serious about my education. If you're a 30-something and you're trying to build your life and you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, and I know most of us don't wait till we're 30, but you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, who you, where, what job you're going to have, if you don't invite God into that conversation, if you don't invite God into the conversation about who you're going to marry, if you don't invite God into that conversation about where you're going to live, what job you're going to do, you're going to cripple your life. Because if you don't invite God in, in, in the very least in the moments where it, it really, truly matters, God's not going to be part of the conversation ever. Each milestone, whether it be junior high, or whether it be college, or whether it be getting married, each milestone, each, each milestone carries its own uh, bad things. And it carries its, its victories, right? It carries the good things as well as the bad things. And our perspective on the way things feel really good in the moment, our perspective on the way things feel really bad in the moment, will dictate how we process that and how we use that to either help ourselves grow or help ourselves stumble in where we are. Yeah, I could drop that right there where you're at. Thanks, guys. So let's strip away for a minute. I'll move this before you come back up here. If you strip all that away for a minute, all the stuff that we bring to the table, if you strip away the middle school years and the, the things that happen in, in, in college and things that happen in jobs, marriage, children, retirement, all those things, if we strip all that away and we take the perspective of life that we really need to be taking, which is one that is spiritual, we do have to sit back and we have to think, okay, every year that I live, every mile that I walk, every frustration, every victory... Whether or not we, we decide to invite God into that conversation, whether we choose to understand that God's a part of it, that Jesus is a part of the Spirit, if we understand that God is the entity of life, that will either propel us forward or cause us to be stuck in, in, in space and maybe even dragged backwards. And I don't know about you, I'm not going to put any of this on you, but there are times in my life when I'm at the, the bottom of the pile I have to be careful and not forget that God is God. Because there could be times when things get so bad and I get down so far that in spite of what's happening to me, I have to remember that God is God. But the same is also true. There has to be times when I'm up here at the top when things are really good and I'm like, whoo, I'm cruising now, things are good. I have to be careful, be careful to remember that time too that God is God. Because the bad reality, the unfortunate reality of that is there are times when I can appreciate myself a little too much. 
I don't want to minimize the bad or, or take down the good, but I, I do think we need a healthy perspective on life. Last week, if you weren't here, you missed a really tremendous experience that we had as a community of people where we sat around and we learned. I learned more about some of you people than I've known, and I've known you a long time. And part of the task was about giving voice not only to the bad things that happen in our lives, but the good things that happen whenever God really shows up. And it's about having perspective. Because sometimes our place in life inhibits us from fully engaging God. That's not fully to say that and I'm not just casting it in the idea that when things are bad, we, we forget about God. When things are good, we forget about God. But sometimes I think we have to understand <laughs> that the life that we have created does not leave room for God. Maybe the life that you and I have created does not leave room for the real living God. Matthew in Matthew chapter 8, when we launch into this series called Kingdom Come from Matthew 8 and, and through the following chapters, we see a Jesus that's really, I want to see him as frustrated. And the struggle is quite real. This chapter that we're going to cover today is full of stories about people that have this amazing faith, surprising faith. And at the same time, we see people who should have had faith, who didn't have faith. I have to pause, and as I write, and as I think about my sermons, I ask myself questions, and I ask you the same questions. And, and the question I wrestled with this week was, do, do I have a dim view of who Jesus is? I was listening to a podcast this week and this guy was talking about health and wellness and the goals that he had for his life. And he said this phrase that was really funny to me, but made a lot of sense. He, he said, and you've got to listen because it's, it's kind of a tongue twister. He said, I've for a long time, he said, I've had a dim view of having a Brad Pitt fight club fit body. Now, if you haven't seen that movie and I haven't seen it, I'm guessing that Brad Pitt is cut in that movie like he is. I can put a picture up there because I didn't want you to focus on that. He said, I have spent so much time wanting that level of health in my life, is what the guy said. He said, I, but I've had a dim view of it because it's never, never been a, an important enough part of my life to really go after. He said, but now I'm getting serious about it. I had a trainer. I committed to going to the gym. I'm eating better and doing all this stuff. And you see, when we have a, a dim view of life, when we have a dim view of something, it, it does not impact how we live. If we have a dim view of something, a goal, we, it does not impact how we live. If we have a dim view of how God impacts this part of our life, or that part of our life, or that part of our life, if we have a, a shallow view God will never really be invited into the conversation of life. We'll never really embrace God when we have those difficulties. We'll never really have that faith. He will, he will continue to live on the periphery of our lives, on the periphery of our existence, if you will. And so as we get into to chapter 8 here, 
Jesus coming off of, of teaching one of the greatest lessons he's ever taught across three chapters of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, one that's very well known. And as he's finishing up that sermon, as he's leaving the mountain, as he's coming down, he comes across this guy, and this guy says, and he's, he's a leper, he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The language that we are given from this, the translations that we are given this, I believe are very specific and they're very intentional. The guy doesn't say, Jesus, can you heal me? The guy says, if you are willing, you can. Like, there's no doubt, there's not, a, there's not a, a sense. He didn't go to Jesus because he thought maybe this guy could do something for him. He knew, and the, given the way the conversation ended, we know this guy was a Jew. But more than that, we know that this guy knew that this decision in this moment in time, at this place in his walk, would forever transform the, the further parts of his life. Because lepers were ones that were outcasts, right? They were ostracized. They, they had to walk around. They lived in communities together. Whenever anybody came near them, they'd have to yell out, unclean! Because you couldn't be near them. You couldn't, ha- you couldn't come in contact with them because it made you unable to be part of what was going on in the temple at the time. It made you unclean. And I guess you could argue that the guy had nothing less left to lose, so why not believe? Like if you want to cut it back to there, but that really doesn't cast anybody else in any better light, does it? Are we going to wait till we don't have any other options? Then we're going to say, okay, God, now maybe I'll give you a shot. I made a junk out of my life. Now maybe I'll invite you in and let you do your part. Jesus is not a safety net. Jesus just doesn't, Jesus doesn't want just Sunday access. When we push Jesus to that part of, a, of, of our existence, we will miss out on so, so much. And so Jesus heals this guy, replaces his life, gives him his life back. And as the passage, the, the, the chapter goes on, we come into another story that's even more impressive because the centurion comes, somebody who's not a Jew, a Gentile comes, and it's a glaring example of the faith that people ought to have in Israel that don't have in Israel. And it's this neat story about this, this army guy who comes, and he doesn't come for him a family member, he doesn't come for himself, he comes for a servant. There's this compassionate guy that cares about those that were living in his house. He's risking social status. He's risking military status. He's risking the future because he understands right here is important. Inviting God into this moment right here is important. And so he tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, my servant is at home. He is paralyzed. It is not good. And Jesus just says, shall I come and heal him? You know, Centurion doesn't ask. Centurion just tells him what's going on. But Jesus knows what's at play. And from our perspective, that might be silly a, a silly question for Jesus to ask. He wouldn't have come unless he really wanted him to, his servant to be healed. But I think Jesus wanted the Jews around him to hear and see what is going on. And the Centurion says, I know who you are. I know who you are. 
I'm a man of authority too. I tell this guy right there, go over there and do that. Go do that and it gets done. You don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and it's done. Can you feel the piercing stare of Jesus? And we're not really given this in the book of Matthew here. And I think it's because Matthew's writing to Jews. You're not given it in the book of Matthew here. But I can almost see Jesus looking around the circle at those gathered around him and him going, I have not seen this level of faith in Israel. I don't know, have you ever played sports? Have you, ever, have you ever done anything like that where you sat around, the coaches looked around at you, or, or maybe you're a band or something like that, and the coach looked around you and they've gone, you're better than this. Because that's essentially what Jesus is saying to them. You guys are better. You guys are better than this. And he looks at the centurion and he says, you can go home, it's done. And if you follow that on down a little bit in the passage there. Jesus goes to Peter's house and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And for the rest of the night, it seems like people are bringing those who need to be healed to Jesus. And they're bringing them, Jesus healing them, healing them, healing them, healing them, healing them. And I wonder as I look from that, those passages into the next section, because the next section almost seems out of place. Because you've got all this healing and then you've got all this healing and miracles and then you've got this passage in the middle i got to wonder if Jesus isn't looking around and going, hmm, you guys really need to understand what this is about. And maybe we need to spend most of our time here. Somebody says, I will go wherever you are. And you got to wonder if they were there just because they saw good things. And there's a pastor where Jesus said, are you just here for food? You see, because when they see good things, they want good. We tend to want to focus and follow those people who are doing good things and make us feel good. And maybe they think there's some type of reward, some temporal reward in serving and following Jesus, staying in this crowd around Him. Because in that day and time, if you had the ear, if you were in the religious elite, you had a pretty good station in life. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to be easy. Comfort is not going to be our friend. Shelter is not going to be our friend. Peace is not going to be our friend. There's no turning back. And then we get this harsh exchange, and, and we look at it as harsh because we read it and we just don't grasp why Jesus is saying this. And the guy says, look, I want to follow, but my dad is dead and I've got to go bury him. And Jesus is like, nah, let the dead bury the dead. And I don't want to undo kind of the, the power that Jesus is pushing around there, but I really think it comes back to excuses. And I don't know about you, but there's always excuses. There's always reasons why I don't want to do something. I did not want to work on my house yesterday. I can always find a good excuse. Lord, I would go and do that, but I have got this, this, and this to do. So he warns him, he says, look, hey, come follow me. It's not going to be easy. And so there's a transition, and Jesus leaves there, and he goes and gets into a boat, and he heads out on the water with his closest ones, right? Because the boat, there wasn't an ark. There was just enough for the ones that were closest to him. 
And as the chapter goes on, again, Jesus goes from being surprised by the faith of some to being surprised by the lack of faith of the ones who should have had it. I've been listening to this text every morning as I drive home from dropping off my boys or Isaac at school. And I listen to the Bible. And if, you, if you're able to do this, listen to the Bible Gateway app because they have, when you listen to it, they offer the option of listening to dramatic a dramatic reading of the text. And so it's neat because it kind of gives a fresh perspective on the text. And as you're listening to the text, you can hear the storm raging in the background. And you can hear the men crying out on the boat going, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die. And you can empathize with them. You can hear their fear and you can empathize with their fear. But on the other side, they just, these guys just saw Jesus heal somebody with a touch. They just saw Jesus heal somebody with a word. They just witnessed Jesus healing somebody remotely. Did they really think that the, that the story was going to end in a boat in a storm? Like, are we so focused on what's happening in this moment, at this day and time, that we are going to let our story end, that we're scared that our story is going to end when there's so much more out there? That we forget to invite God into the really, really bad stuff that's going on in life because we're scared. Like, they just watched Jesus heal somebody from a distance. Like, it's not, a, it's not a trick show. Being so focused on one single moment in time can wreck what God is trying to do going forward. And so Jesus gets up and He calms the storm and He asks a question that we all need to hear on the regular. Why are you so afraid? And the question ought to echo in our minds because we come, become so focused on the short sections of life, the short parts of our life, that we can't, we, we forget that God is God. That in the bad stuff going on in our life, that God is still at work, that God is still moving, and that God is still at work. We get to the last section where we see demons having more faith than people. Jesus lands on the, on the, on the shore at the Gerasenes, the Gerasenes, whatever word your text used there, the, this area. And this interesting part of this text, just kind of a sidebar, is this is the one place that Jesus goes where there aren't Jews intentionally goes to an area where there are not, there's not a Jewish settlement. He lands at this place because there's pigs. So you, know, they know, you know they're not Jews because pigs run clean. They didn't eat those. And so he lands on this place, and, he go, and these demons meet him. And they're like, have you come to torture us? And if you're going to do something to us, just send us into those pigs. And So Jesus sends them, and the pigs run off into the water and die. And somebody runs into the town and says, guess what just happened? And everybody comes out, right? Everybody comes out. And it's almost a crazy series of events. In the text it says, these men were so violent that you couldn't get near them. 
They had control over where they were at. They were, they were so mean, there was nothing, you couldn't go near them. And so Jesus took care of a problem for them. And instead of being like, hey Jesus, come hang out with us, stay with us, be with us, you, this is amazing. They're like, you're terrifying, go away. You are terrifying, go away. Maybe we like our dim view of Jesus because it's not scary. Maybe we like the view of Jesus that we've been taught since we were in Sunday school because it's safe, because it makes us feel comfortable, because that image doesn't really require a lot of us. And when we start peeling back the layers and getting rid of some of the stuff that isn't really there, and we see Jesus, the clear view of Jesus is a little scary. And maybe it should be. We shouldn't be scared of Jesus because God is sitting up there with a big stick waiting to smack us if we do something wrong. That's not the fear I'm talking about. The real view of Jesus that ought to scare us a little bit is the one that will call that will require of us to do things that we don't want to do. The one that will require us to change our perspective on how we look at people, how we look at our jobs, how we raise our kids, how we interact with the public, how we do all things in life. You see, because a, a clear view of Jesus reorients our life, it reminds us of what is and what is not important. It reminds us of who is and who is not important. It reminds us of how we spend and where we spend our time. If a clear view of Jesus doesn't invite you into adventure, I don't think we have a clear view of Jesus yet. And perhaps sometimes we do indeed need reorientation. Because I think we become too comfortable with the view of Jesus that we have. The life that we have built for ourselves to live that we call Christian is just a little too safe. It's a little too comfortable. I don't want to talk too much about chapter 9 because I'm going to talk about the beginning of chapter 9 next week. But in chapter 9, Jesus heals this paralyzed man. And in doing so, he, instead of saying you're healed, he says your sins are forgiven. And the, the Sadducees and all the, the guys, the Pharisees are standing around there going, this dude is insulting God. And Jesus knows what they're saying. And Jesus says, you are full of evil. Do you see what's going on? These Pharisees and Sadducees were convinced that they were doing the right thing, that they were living the right thing, that they were where they needed to be. And that Jesus was wrong. But Jesus was taking their view of God and turning it over and saying, look, you guys are full of evil. And so I encourage you, don't believe everything you've always believed. Make sure that your perspective is rooted in the person of God. His physical representation in this world. His spirit that lives within us. 
Make sure your perspective of God is rooted in eternity. And is there any better place for us to reorient, right, than at the table? Because each week, I didn't do this, Campbell, I don't know what's going on behind me. Each week, like if this is a year, each week is like this, right? And I know it's hard not to become bogged down in what's going on, but how important is it that each week we get invited to the table so that we can reorient ourselves, so that we can get reintroduced, so that we can get drawn back to what God has called us to and who God has called us to be, that we can be reminded of Jesus, that we can be reminded of what truly is important. We are called to, we get to, once a week, pause and in community, look up, and reorient ourselves to God. We get to be called again to have our hearts renewed, to have our focus returned to a Savior, so that even though this week may not have been the best, or maybe this week was the best, and you need to be reminded too that God is still God, that we have the opportunity to remember, to reflect, to appreciate God. Pray with me. God, for today, we are thankful. We are thankful for the life that you have given us. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have every week to come and sit around your table, to reflect, to be reoriented. Help us not to lose heart. Help us to have the right perspective. Help us to invite you into our life, not just as a having a seat at the table, but the table be built around you. So that when moments of faith arise, that our hope is in you, our peace is in you, our joy is in you, our lament is in you, our faith is in you and you alone. As we come to the table, help us to be drawn again to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come, let's go to the table. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that